Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Major League Fantasy Baseball Radio Show on Block Talk Network. I'm your host, Cole Friel, coming at you on Thursday, May 2nd. It is our first show uh, of the Major League Fantasy Sports Baseball season of May. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're through that first month of the season, okay? Um, some of these samples are, are getting more and more legitimate. Uh, we have more and more to talk about, and it's also becoming uh, more of a universal thing uh, that opinions can change and that we have samples to suggest players are uh, more legitimately uh, struggling uh, or potentially breaking out. Um, but before we get into our normal show, which will deal with some injuries, um, some, some breakout performances, uh, as well as looking forward to the weekend series, I'd like to bring in my co-host, Kyle Amore. Uh, Kyle is a writer with MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. Uh, he's also a former uh, collegiate and semi-professional pitcher himself. Uh, welcome to the show, Kyle. And uh, is there anything that, that you'd like to, to start us off with here? Yeah, so yeah, I was thinking about it with all these injuries that we hear, especially with pitchers, especially with the upper extremities, you know, and specifically the elbow. You know, I, I was thinking about it, and I brought this up in the past when it comes to dealing with elbow injuries especially ones that lean more towards needing surgery, and yet you know, we have it down to a science, and we get these organizations that want to go with the platelet injections. They want to just try to find you know, ways to get around the surgery, and, and ultimately almost always ends up with pitchers needing the surgery. Now, we did see Masahiro Tanaka you know, get away with needing elbow surgery, and you know, to be honest with you, I thought by now, we would have seen him go under a knife. So, you know, that, that's a positive thing. Um, but one team, one team in specific, like in, in specifically I, I honed in on because you know, we always talk about these teams that have, you know, offensively, not bad. They may not be the greatest in the league, but, you know, offensively they're solid. And, I mean, this team has the best player in baseball in Mike Trout. And, you know, you think about the Angels, you look at their lineup, you, you know, you look at their bullpen. They brought in Cody Allen. That didn't work out. You know, so looking in opposite ways, you see uh, Ty Butchery is arguably their their best reliever in the moment. And, you know, the Angels uh, and Tommy John surgery, I I look at this, and it just kind of blows my mind because I was making a list of guys recently, you know, in in starting rotations or even relievers. And, I mean, we're talking Garrett Richards, who's ultimately, I mean, his career is maybe done when, you know, they, they, they kind of, beat around the bush for, what, three seasons, trying to get him to rehab it. We didn't see him for a year. He comes back, did not look good at all. Ultimately, went under the knife. Andrew Heaney, you know, he's finally pitching. But, again, he had Tommy John surgery for the Angels. Tyler Skaggs has had uh, Tommy John surgery. Otani most recently. And, you know, if you're an Otani owner, they want to get him uh, 40 at-bats or before they, they come up to the majors. And he's up to 32 now and had, I think, I think I said four or five in uh, a simulated game the other day, but I mean, that's four. And then JC Ramirez reliever. I mean, good Lord. You want to talk about an organization that, you know, they just, 
not putting it together. And it, it just kind of blows my mind when these guys, professionals, are putting together a team like this. And, I mean, not only are these these pieces assets, but they're investments. And, and to like, really beat around the bush and have this this many pitchers have Tommy John surgery, it kind of seems like an, it's an organization, uh, organizational thing. But uh, it was just kind of blowing my mind when I started making a list of how many guys they've had in their organization have Tommy John surgery. You know, the Angels have definitely uh, had their struggles with, with starting pitching injuries uh, the last few years. And, and in terms of the argument itself, I would love to get some, some study data, um, but we've talked about it before. Uh, as much as I do believe that, you know, it, it is possible for you to do the rehab route and, you know, maybe if the doctors of the team really believe that's the best way for you to go, maybe you should try it. But ultimately, uh, my preference uh, for players that I have, have stock in uh, and, and really just any player uh, that I, I'd like to see play baseball um, I, I just want them to go under the knife right away, get the simple Tommy John surgery, and, you know, we'll, we'll see you in 12 months, and hopefully you're, you're back to 100% in 18. Um, but be, before we get into anything else with today's show, I'd like to remind our audience uh, of our partner, Thrive Fantasy. Uh, Thrive Fantasy is a, a different daily fantasy model uh, than the traditional uh, salary-based daily fantasy sports game. Um Thrive Fantasy offers prop bets instead. They also offer a deal if you uh, put in the promo code MLFS to match your first $10. You can go to thrivefantasy.com or go to majorleaguefantasysports.com and click the Thrive link. Um, And there you can put in the promo code MLFS. That's Thrive Fantasy and the promo code MLFS. We are also seeking members for our 2019 football leagues. These are competitive leagues, and that is why we are looking early to try to uh, find the right fits for these leagues. You know, Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com. That's MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com. And also, if you like the work we do here, either on the show or in in the articles on MajorLeagueFantasySports.com, you can go to Patreon.com slash sports. At patreon.com slash major league fantasy sports uh and you can donate there um so we'll move on with the show now um the first thing like usual that we'll, we'll get to is is some injuries some news uh things that that go along with that category um first thing on top of our list is the aj pollock injury um my understanding is that he has an elbow he's not or excuse me he has a a screw in his elbow he's not getting a screw in his elbow he's actually getting the the screw removed from his elbow, and that is the surgery that is going to cost him. Um, likely, it looks like a significant amount of this uh, of the season, though. Uh, no timetable has been given that I see as of yet. Um, any any takes on this? Either this AJ Pollock injury or how it might affect playing time for someone like Alex Verdugo? Yeah, I think this is probably their the Dodgers organization's like worst fear when it came to signing him. Now. I think they signed him to a fair contract, but, I mean, you know, this is a player that has had injury history in the past, you know, whether it be lower body or, you know, with the the, the elbow now. And uh, I heard an interview yesterday with Andrew Friedman, you know, he's talking about it and, you know, he has a plate in that elbow and you know, he bumped it. I think they said when they were, he was in Chicago, he bumped it on something, kind of a, a freak thing, and, you know, he developed a, an infection in there. So I think they said today, 
he was going under the knife to get that that plate or that hardware removed. Which I mean, that's that's nothing, but it's the fact of just being able to the infection that's in that elbow. That's something they're gonna have to monitor. You don't want that um, spreading. That would be horrible. And B, you know, you you got to make sure he's coming back healthy. So. You know, he wouldn't even put a timetable on it. And to be completely honest with you, I mean, if he's aggravating that that elbow like it is, and just an infection, I mean, it, it, it the fact that they're not putting a timetable on it, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he we don't see him again until after the All Star break. But I mean, in terms of Alex Verdugo, I mean, what more, he, he has nothing left to prove in, in the in the in the minors at all, and I think that's why you saw him make this team out of spring training and. I mean, right now, he, he's what? In his career, most at bats he's ever had 77. Plate appearance is 86. Right now, he's 10 away from, you know, matching that plate appearance record and, and four for at bats. And, I mean, he has most career home runs already. RBIs. And, you know, for me, you think about it, with him uh, uh, being a left handed bat as he is, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I wonder if there could be a case where you see him sit against lefties. But, you know, looking at the numbers, that that's not the case. He's equally, if not better, against lefties than righties. I mean, right now he's slashing 339, 361, 542 against righties. On the other hand, those numbers even look better against lefties, 357, 400, 929. So he's doing it against both, and that's something great to see. And, in you know, looking even deeper, I mean, his line drive percentage is at an all-time high. It's up almost 8%. His ground ball percentage low uh lower it's uh lower eighteen point one percent his hard percentage is up five percent. So for me he's locked in and you gotta play the hot hand. This offense, I mean it's arguably one of the best in baseball and you know too and, and even hearing that interview yesterday someone brought up uh, you know uh, do you see him or, or uh Taylor see uh, uh getting more playing time and I mean he he, he can he uh, Chris Taylor like he just kinda he, kind of batted that to the side and just talked more about Verdugo. And it, it sounds like he is going to be the guy to get the playing time. Yeah, when, when I started looking into and thinking about the, the Verdugo situation, I had two contrarian thoughts with those being that, you know, it is awkward because he's a left-hander and the Dodgers are already way overloaded compared to the normal team when it comes to left-handed bats because, I mean, they have Bellinger, they have Seager, uh, they have Muncie in the outfield. They have Jock Peterson. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's the whole reason that they, they went the A.J. Pollock direction in the first place in free agency. You know, if you change some of the traits in, in Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, um, by that I mean if you if you either made Manny Machado an outfielder or made Bryce Harper uh, right-handed and you made one of them a right-handed outfielder, uh, I think there's a, at least a, a much better chance that that player – uh, would have fit into the Dodgers' uh, plans moving forward, uh, but the right-handed outfielder was, was really what they were seeking, and they, they decided to go the the AJ Pollock direction. Um, but on the other side of things, you know, you know that goes two ways. Is I guess what I was trying to say earlier, um, it, it, because that also means that they don't have anybody really right-handed that they like to replace them in the system, um, because if they already have that guy they would have probably used that guy and, and looked for a value or, or maybe somewhere else in free agency. You know, they, they went after this because this was a skill set that they didn't have, uh, and now they still might not have it. And, and even though he's a lefty, 
uh, with no really good right-handed outfielders to replace him or to come in and, and steal the playing time for him, uh, I, I got to believe this is a strong positive for Verdugo. Um, Verdugo isn't taking many walks so far um, and, and kind of represents what, what some people might call uh, pressing if he wasn't doing well, but he is doing extremely well, and he's just, he's just swinging at the pitches he gets that he believes are good pitches in the zone, and, and he's doing damage on them both uh, in terms of batting average and in terms of slugging percentage. So, so Verdugo's off to a, a very strong start, um, and, and his stock is obviously rising. Um, not on, on the side of stock rising, but stock plummeting. Malik Smith, who who is seen as the safe leadoff hitter, likely to get you a good number of, uh, of stolen bases. He uh, he just had a rough start to the year, 30% strikeout percentage, 165 batting average uh, at the point of his demotion uh, down to AAA. This, to me, right off the bat, just seems like maybe a hopefully he gets his head right type demotion, um, but. You know, it, what do you what do you think about this situation? Alex Smith obviously off to a, a rough start to the season, not what the Mariners thought that they were getting at all. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. And, and the thing about it is too, Alex Smith. What do we think of when we think of him? You think about his legs. I mean, that's the name of the game. You're not expecting 20 home runs. It's, it's just not the case. You're expecting him to get on base and steal backs. And you know, in, in the past, he's done a good job at that, but. I mean, he's struggling against righties. He's struggling against lefties. His ground ball percentage is almost 60%, which is fine. I mean, you, you, you don't want to hit a majority of your balls in the air when you, when you rely on your legs. But the fact is, your con, his contact percentage is so weak. So if he's hitting the ball in the infield, that means he's getting nothing behind that swing. I mean, he's not even getting lucky and running into one. So what are you going to do? You hit the ball right at the infield. Well, you know, infield could just sit back a little bit. You know, and, and even if it's it's weaker yet, I mean, they can move in a little bit. You don't have to play anywhere near the grass, but he's just not doing it. And, you know, one of the telling things, too, I mean, when you look at his soft percentage, up 6%, I mean, just right now, like you said, I, I think it's more between the years with him and, you know, with a guy with this, with the team competing and, and, and everything, the best thing is to send him down to AAA and get things worked out. And, you know, I, I don't – he. If you look at the numbers by this season, it's not going to look like this. But I mean, right now, when in my in my opinion, when it comes to a guy like this, and you know, he doesn't offer a, a whole lot in terms of what he can do with the bat. I think the best thing is to send him down um, to the minors to get it worked out because he, he's got to get going with those legs. He's you know, and, and, and be able to get on base. So, you know, right now, work on it in the in, in the minors, and you know, Seattle can figure out a way to work around it, but, you know, if he's going to be up there, they're going to want him for his steals, and if he's not getting on base, you can't steal, you can't steal first, so, you know, it's just one of those things, I know a lot of play, uh, fantasy players are asking him, relying on him for those stolen bases, and he just wasn't doing it, because he could not get on base. Yeah, it's interesting, I, I had D Gordon as a player I wasn't very interested in all throughout the offseason, because I, I thought he would be a batting ninth, but what I never expected was that Malik Smith would be so bad to just sit him right up top the uh, right up top the lineup. Now you know I don't know if there's any big ramifications in, t- in terms of value other than that one, um, but in my personal opinion, D Gordon's value does go up 
a significant amount uh, going from a projected ninth consistently to a projected first consistently uh, in the batting order. And then, you know, speaking of D. Gordon, that, that's who you would compare you know, a player like Malix to uh, a guy that bases his, his uh, abilities on his speed, doesn't have a whole lot of pop. Uh, the difference between Malix uh, and D. Gordon going back to last year is that, you know, Malik Smith is, is strikes out a lot more. Um, but but this year it, it's gone from just striking out a little bit more um, to striking out a lot more. And, and then more than that, I think because Malix always strikes out a bit more than D. Gordon uh, or probably always projects to, he doesn't seem to have the same contact skill that D. Gordon does, um, you expect him to have or be a better hitter. You know, last year he was uh, a pretty solid line drive hitter. Uh, you know, he wasn't a home run hitter, but he, he did hit gaps um, occasionally. So, you know, uh, the 60% ground ball percentage is uh, egregiously high. Uh, so even though he, he's a decent hitter for, for a low launch angle, I guess is the best way to put it in modern baseball. Um, he, he would want a lower launch angle than a lot of hitters. Uh, he, he does still need to be a, a decent hitter uh, and drive the ball a little bit, especially if he's going to strike out even more than 20% of the time. Uh, and right now that, that number sits higher than 30. Uh, a couple more uh, downward spirals, uh, so to speak, in terms of value. Um, Zach Godley, big, big gem in some people's eyes last year. Uh, this year, not very highly drafted at all, but but some people had him as uh, a potential low-cost buyback. He's being sent to the bullpen. Um, in many ways, not as bad as AAA because he's still in the majors, but uh, in many ways worse because this could be the end uh, of Zach Godley, the starter, for, for the entire year uh, as they'll obviously not be keeping him stretched out if he, he's in the bullpen for a long period of time. Um, and then also, similarly to Malik Smith, uh, the struggling Lewis Brinson was demoted or, or optioned. Um, he had a 34.1% strikeout percentage and was hitting 197, so so almost 200, but but clearly struggling. Uh, Lewis Brinson seems to have been struggling for you know the last couple of years really um, since he was, he was one of the better prospects. Uh, Garrett Cooper activated in that exchange, maybe a potentially interesting guy. Uh, for very deep leagues, I believe he had one of those uh, really good seasons or, or good seasons as an older minor leaguer somewhat recently. But uh, any, anything interesting here, either in the Godley or, or Brinson situations, Kyle? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting with Godley. I, I mean, lefties are hitting 300 off of him, in, in, you know, and I feel like he's had success in the past. But, I mean, if, if you look at his game logs, too, I mean, I mean there's only – 101 pitches in the first start, 103. This is only through five innings, 96, 91, 98, 69 pitches in, in 2.2 innings. And then you look at it, he, you know, he the strikeouts were there like the second and third game, but after that, I mean, two, four, four. And what's really killing the walks. He's had two-plus walks every start, and the last two he had four. And, you know, looking at that pitch count, what, what does that tell me? He has no feel for his pitches. And, you know, I, I saw the game – uh, when they played the Cubs back on the 27th. And, you know, that's one of the things I noticed. Like, when I think Zach Godley, I feel like he was able to hit his spots. But I, but I feel like Carson Kelly was constantly moving the mid around here, there. And, and it, it just – he didn't look – he didn't look comfortable with it. I, I feel like he was changing his delivery. I was picking up on subtle things with, like, his arm slot and maybe trying to, 
you know, slow his uh, his uh, his ascent to uh, home plate, just trying to like almost like you're throwing darts, like just get me over, get me over, get me over. So with him, it's between the years and it's mechanical too. So you know, maybe having him go to the bullpen that'll be good, and having him you know come in situations that even if there's a guy on base, personally. So when you get guys that are having trouble, especially starting pitchers, you, 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 they're having issues with their location. Well, you, you try to keep think, simple things. When you have a guy that comes out of the windup, there's a lot of movement in a lot of guys' windup. One of the best. If you want to talk about a guy that doesn't have a lot of movement, I'm using this as an example. Look at a guy like Walker Bueller. He keeps everything high and tight, very little movement. But then you see these guys that get out of whack, and, I, I, and Zach Audley is one of those guys right now that he's out of whack. So, you know, having him go to the bullpen, yeah, it's a confidence. He doesn't have to really, you know, come in there. Uh, starting the entire game and, and worry about going, you know, multiple innings. Now you just want to have him come out, out there and, you know, he'll, he'll work. I, I guarantee his first few appearances out of the bullpen will probably be an inning here and there. But even then, have him simple it, you know, simplify it. Have him dumb it down, for lack of a better term. Have him come out of the stretch. This way you don't have to worry about the windup to get him thrown out of whack. So I, I think that's what they can do with him. I mean, he's a talented guy. There's no question about it. I don't think it's one of those things where you want to have to send him to the minor leagues. You know, and, and, and with a veteran like that, I mean, it, it could be a confidence killer for him as well. But, you know, just get him there, simplify it, see if he can, you know, repeat his delivery and really start him out of the stretch rather than the windup. That's probably what we're going to see him see or, or see him do out of the bullpen. Um, now, with Lewis Brinson, too, I mean, the, the guy strikes out. I mean, that, that's all it is. And, you know, he's making a lot of soft, con- uh, soft contact. There's no question about that. And, you know, I mean, he has – career highs and everything that, that we're seeing in, in terms of uh, contact and it, you, you can't do it at this level. And I, I truly think he's one of those guys that it just, it's not, it's just not going to happen for him. I mean, the strikeout, strikeout, strikeouts, that's all we've seen from him. That's kind of been his, uh, his Achilles heel. And you know, that, that's it. That's, that's what it is right now. And, you know, keeping him at the major league level is just not it, – it's just not going to work. You're, you're not – when you're facing major league pitching like this, you're not going to be able to work on things like that. It just doesn't happen. You know, and, and even at the major league level, too, you got to remember when it comes to mechanical thing and, and working on shooting the ball the other way, when at the major league level, a lot of these coaches don't get that hands-on like you, like you get uh, in the minor league. So sending them down, really being able to work here and there uh, with different hitting coaches, and, and, and I think that's the best thing for him. Um, with with Garrett Cooper too, you know, comes back from a calf injury and what happens last night? He gets plucked on the wrist, and so I'm sure he's going for an MRI today. But yeah, I, I mean, he's what 28, 28 years old, I believe. And I mean, at this point in his career, it's kind of a you know, this is it, all or nothing type of thing. But yeah, he has put together. He showed signs of good at bats in the past too. So you know, he's a player to keep an eye on, especially on a Miami team where there's not a whole lot of fantasy assets out there. But uh, Again, we'll probably have to monitor his wrist to see how those reports come back after, you know, finally coming off the DL and, you know, getting in the game last night and then you hitting your wrist in your first game back. That was kind of a bummer. Yeah, you know, both both of you and I know that uh, some minor league numbers, <clears throat> excuse me, some minor league numbers we have to take with a grain of salt, uh, including those by players uh, who are particularly old for the level or those in particular leagues. I'm not exactly sure which uh, AAA league he was playing in in 2017, uh, but as a 26 or 27-year-old in, in 2017, he managed a, a magical – this is uh, Garrett Cooper 
320 plate appearances with 17 home runs, uh, a 10.3 walk percentage to a 15% strikeout percentage, uh, 366, 428, 652 slash. Just uh, an absolutely incredible uh, half of the season uh, for Garrett Cooper in AAA in 2017. Um, that got some people kind of interested in him, but, but 2018 he, he dealt with a lot of injuries, so we haven't really gotten any chance uh, to see anything of that come to fruition. And, and on the other side of that transaction, you know, I didn't know whether to bring up Brinson uh, alongside Malik Smith or not because, you know, they're both uh, right at that same category, uh, specifically 30-plus K percentage, sub-200 batting average, um, and be, being demoted for, you know, these problems of struggling right now. Um, Brinson's not a guy that I've been high on for a while just because you know, he hasn't even stolen the bases. This is a guy that the swing and miss has always been there. And he doesn't, like – look like the explosive athletic prospect he was supposed to be. And he's always supposed to be a flawed hitting prospect. He's just always supposed to be a bit more of a a physical freak with a lot of high upside traits. And I don't think we even see those high upside traits um, very often. Um, So I think that's why I've been a little lower on Lewis, Lewis Brinson recently, which, I mean, I know, I know he's had a virtually low price, uh, nothing price, but I haven't been very interested in him as a sleeper either, just because I, I think we haven't seen anything to show us that he's got the the explosiveness still that that made him uh, a high level prospect at one time um but speaking of prospects we'll, we'll move on to, to one debut that we got this tuesday uh which was uh, griffin canning griffin canning was was the top pitching prospect for the los angeles angels uh and i was encouraged by the start now you know based on what you look at this might not have been a, an encouraging start for you. Uh, 6.23 ERA, uh, only went four and a third innings, but um, got got a lot of swing and misses. Um, had had a 12.46 K9 with with which means he had six strikeouts in his four and a third innings. Uh, he also had four consecutive strikeouts at one point of the game. Uh, he started strong, faded a little bit towards the uh, the end of the outing. Um, got got swing and misses on, on a fastball. Uh, a slider and a curveball, uh, and a good number of swing and misses too. I believe 18 whiffs on 82 pitches uh, is a very high number. Um, any thoughts on Griffin Canning? Did you happen to catch Tuesday's start, or, or just any general yeah. thoughts on him as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy too that was a high draft pick, you know, second round in 2017. So, you know, the, they were expecting a lot out of him when they drafted him, and you know, it was a good start. I, I mean, you you mentioned the numbers of DRA, but that's not something you really want to, you know, pay attention to in his first start. But you know, looking at the the body of work that he did, six strikeouts, only one walk. I, I think that's extremely, extremely solid. Um, if if you look too, I, I mean. Only one home run, so, you know, if you give up a hit, I mean, four four hits you give up, I get it. Still not bad, and, you know, someone on base when they, they, they hit that home run. So, yeah, that, that'll hurt anyone. But, you know, overall, for his first start, he, he kept them in the game for the most part. I mean, you talk about if you can, as a pitcher, only give up three earned runs, you're giving your team, you know, a chance to win, regardless of what your bullpen does after, the, after you come out of the game. So, you know, I like what I saw. Like you mentioned, too, if you have that third pitch and you can get swings and misses, that's what's good. And, you know, he did. Only one walk. So what does that tell you with the strikeouts, too? He's ahead of, ahead of the hitters that he did face. So that's huge. I think that's good because, you know, and, and, and Canning is the guy that really got me thinking about when I was talking about the Angels and the, the issues they've had developing pitchers. And, you know, just looking at that, I'm like, you know, this is good. 
I mean, the Angels right now, they're they're playing. They're playing some decent baseball. And you, and you look at their lineup, they have some guys that put the bat on the ball. And, I, and then I said, man, if they can only get the pitching, if they can really get their pitching going in, that's exactly what they need to start putting it together. And seeing a guy like this, again, second-round draft pick out of UCLA two years ago, coming up in his first game, giving him a chance win, looking good, this could be very, very big for this team in terms of a, a, another solid starting pitcher. Now, you know, when, when you, you draft a guy that high, you know, you are expecting him to be more of your top of the rotation guy. Uh, in, in terms of what he's going to do in the in the long run, I don't know. But uh, right now he's definitely going to help him. And, and I mean, if you if you look at the body of work he did in the minor leagues too, I mean, the, the strikeouts were there. there. I mean, there's no question about it. You know, just parts of better parts of two seasons, 142 strikeouts to 46 walks. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. His whip, about 122. I can live with that too. Case per nine, right around 10. That's not bad all at all for a you know starting pitcher. And you got to remember too, if you look at the, and he started in the PCL this this uh, this season and he looked awfully good. I mean, he had an ERA uh, sub 0. .60. That's really really good. And only two walks in, in 16 innings of work and uh, more than the strikeout per inning. That is very, very, very solid to look at, especially playing in the PCL. I get we're only a month in the season, but it's a very encouraging sign. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing his next start. And, you know, if he does it again, he's definitely a guy that people want to keep an eye on to really uh, grab, especially when, you know, uh, unless you're really honing in on my own prospects entering the season, there's a good chance that you would be able to get canning because, you, again, you don't know how many people are, are know about him, and he could be one of those nice little uh, little ads, and sneaky ones, I should say, a clever clever ad off the waiver wire. Yeah, you know, canning's not, uh, like you said, doesn't get the reputation of being a starting pitcher that has uh, the upside of, you know, say going back to last year, a Walker Bueller or a few years back, a, a Garrett Cole, you know, these guys that come up. Uh, and we we know so much about their pedigrees right away. Uh, he's not that kind of guy, and, and more so than that, he was also a guy that I don't think many people expected to make his debut uh, before May 1st, um, and, and especially because when you look at the ERA numbers, I understand the ERA is not a great number to always use in these minor league systems, um, but in AAA he had a 5.49 ERA uh, last year, uh, despite the fact that he had a pretty solid 64 strikeouts and 22 walks in 59 innings. Um, what he did in his first three starts uh, in AAA this year, uh, while while all these Angels pitchers were getting injured around him, uh, was just have three great starts. And I know that each three starts were individually great without even having to look up his, his individual game longs because he averaged more than five innings a start. Uh, he only walked two batters over the course of 16 innings, uh, didn't give up a home run, uh, and, and only gave up one earned run over those 16 innings as well. Uh, he was uh, he was two innings away essentially from getting his ERA uh, under half of a run per nine innings. So uh, and then also you know I don't know if we talked about Canning last week as someone who was coming up or not, uh, but I definitely thought about our conversation that we had either last week or a couple weeks ago uh, about how you know the minor league baseballs have changed and how how the minor league environment continues to become uh, potentially more. Or, or we we presume it to become more uh, hitter friendly, and we've seen it become more hitter friendly. Uh, and how some of these pitching numbers, like ERA for these pitchers, uh, we expect them to struggle, uh, and expect to see some some inflated numbers in some of the, some of these leagues. Uh, and, and you know, I thought about that when I looked at Canning, and I saw that not only is he not having uh, an adverse 
uh, effect from all these things happen, but he's actually uh, dominating through his first three starts. Uh, again, struggled a little bit when he got deep into the second time or, or even third time, I'm not sure where, uh, of a major league lineup in, in the fourth and fifth inning there. Um, but ultimately, we, we saw the, the good stuff that allowed him to, like you say, ha- have about a 9.5 to 10K9 throughout his minor, minor league career uh, and, and show us some, some reasons for optimism. Um, some, some things that, that we added since uh, we sent this, this out a couple of days ago, uh, two, two elbow or I believe elbow injuries here, um, one to Carlos Rodon, uh, an edema in the flexor mass, uh, what was the, the official, what I read about it, that's a recent injury. Uh, and then Corey Kluber, I believe, was hit, hit by a line drive. Um, he has a forearm fracture. Um, any Anything uh, about those two injuries stick out to you, Kyle? Yeah, so Rodon's is extremely concerning because what they mean when they're saying, you know, Edelman, the, the flexor mass, is they're talking about extreme swelling, inflammation to the point where you can feel heat or burning. Now, when people have UCL injury, you one of two things happens. And, you know, most people say, oh, did you hear it pop? Did you hear it pop? You know, did you, did you, when you tore your UCL, did you hear it pop? And, you know, that's what you're going to hear people say, and that's what most people think. And, you know, there are players that say they, 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 heard, a, like they heard a pop. When I tore my UCL, I did not hear that. This is what I felt, like exactly what they just said when it, when it comes to them using the atom of the flexor mass. When that happens, there's a sensation of heat or burning in that elbow, and that is what I felt. It felt like someone stuck a knife in there and started, like, twisting. It just burning and aching and sharp pain in my elbow. And, and the best way, if you've never had anything like that happen in your body, the best way I can put it, the best analogy I can give anyone out there is we've all gone to a beach on a hot day. When you're walking, before you get on the sand, you know, everything's cool. But when you step on that hot sand, you feel it right in the, right in the middle of your foot, and you can feel it in your stomach, that burning sensation. So either, A, you jump out of the way on the grass, or you run into the water, and then it cools down. But that feeling you can feel, that burning sensation, that's what he was feeling in his elbow, and that's what I felt when I tore my UCL. And, and the thing is, too, right now with that pronator, when there's an issue, an issue like that, in, in, in that elbow joint, almost 100% of the time, you're going to need Tommy Johnson. You're just a tear in there. And I have a feeling that's what's going to happen. And, and it sucks because, you know, Rodon this season, after, especially after all the injuries he's battled with his shoulder, you know, this is not something he needed. You know, he's looking good. That slider has some nice bite on him. He's getting swings and misses. Yeah, the numbers may not be what we were expecting, but he was feeling good. He's pitching well. And, you know, this whole team was – you know, feeling and 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 the White Sox have been playing good baseball, so this is extremely concerning because more than likely, yeah, it, it was brought up, but I wouldn't be surprised, especially when I when I when I initially read what they were saying and they were talking about that burning in the elbow, and I'm like, oh, it just reminded me because it's immediately what I felt when I had my elbow injury. So, you know, it, it's not good for fantasy. It's just not. Not something, you know, for anything, I just feel worse for Rodon because he's gone through his fair share of injuries the past few years. So on the other hand, too, with Corey Kluber and that line drive, and after it came off the forearm, too, you just seen the, the, the look on his face. He didn't even really want to look down at it. And I, I think he knew, you know, he's trying to hold in that he was in pain. And, you know, especially with this fracture, 
I mean, he's going to be gone for a while, and it's not good because, you know, if you look at their starting rotation as is, I mean, they face, you know, issues. You know, their their bullpen isn't what it has been in years past, and it, 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 it just sucks because they're already without uh, Mike Levenger for a while. And, or excuse me, not Mike. Yeah, Mike? No, Steve. Why do I always do this? Uh, Mike, Mike Levenger. And, yeah, sorry. They're, they're already with uh, – you know, without Mike Clevenger, so that's not good. And then you get arguably the ace of your staff, and you know, it, it, he's going to be gone for a while. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he misses more than ten weeks. So you know, it's extremely concerning, especially for guys that uh, you know uh, drafted him uh, as their number one pitcher. Yeah, I don't know too many people who remember Steve Clevenger other than us Cubs fans. I, I know we trade him to the Orioles at one point. Um, but in terms of uh, these two injuries uh, uh, to, to Rodon and Kluber, um, the, the the Kluber injury, it just sucks. Uh, it, you know, like you said, it, it's a situation where um, we had an opportunity to – I know he's been struggling, um, and it just stinks because he gets to end on that struggling um, because, you know, he had this opportunity to turn the season around. Um, you know, maybe he would have, maybe he wouldn't have, but ultimately – um, the, the story of his 2019 is, is probably not going to be uh, uh, an overwhelmingly positive one. Uh, and then in the case of Carlos Rodon, uh, he's been been through injuries uh, so much the last uh, at least year, uh, been coming back from those injuries. Um, and um, I don't know if you saw this, um, but uh, and th- I forgot about this for a second. This was the main thing I wanted to point out. Um, but especially after what, what you said, um, I do believe they asked the GM um, if, Tommy John was a possibility, uh, and he said they weren't ruling anything out, uh, which is a very GM answer, but it also does mean that, you know, certain things are on the table right now. Um, But we'll move on from those two situations. Uh, Jose LeClerc um, out as the Texas Rangers closer. Don't know if there's too much to say about this one, um, but considering – you know, including yours truly, how many people loved Jose LeClerc uh, coming into the season. And I should say, including the Texas Rangers, who gave him uh, a contract extension coming into the season. You know, a lot of us had this guy ranked very highly in the closing role. You know, um, Cody Allen being out of the role, you know, it stinks. I'm a Cody Allen owner in, in, in a league or two, it stinks. But he wasn't drafted that highly. Um, he wasn't a guy that you were 100% confident in, and he was a guy that you thought could be a little messy getting you your saves, too. Jose LeClerc is a guy that you potentially drafted you know, in a dynasty league I'm in. I believe he was the second closer off the board after Edwin Diaz. So, you know, you could have potentially paid uh, elite closer prices uh, for Jose LeClerc, and, and so I think it at least bears mentioning uh, by us that, that, that he'll be uh, working low-leverage situations uh until further notice. Uh, Kyle, is there anything either in LeClerc to where you think he can turn this around this season or uh, in a replacement that you're particularly interested in uh, as a waiver wire ad? I, I know this one's also one we didn't add until uh, late, but, but once again, you know, um, I was a guy who was high on LeClerc, and I don't have any particular reason to, to believe he can turn it around, um, but I do believe if he does turn it around, uh, the upside is still significant. Um, any, anything on, on this Rangers closer situation? Yeah, I, I mean, right now, if you look at this bullpen of theirs, I mean, who are you really going to put stock into closing? And, and I say that because when there's really not a great threat to your job, 
it's kind of a relief to be completely honest with you because of the fact that, you know, let's say you have two guys to close. Well, let's just use the Yankees bullpen for that matter. If Chapman starts, well, then you could go with, and we'll just forget any injuries that may, you know, be currently there. Well, then they had the Kansas. You, you, you know, you, you have uh, Zach Britton as well. Well, those are a lot of guys that can close. You know, they can come in in the ninth inning. Well, when you look at the Rangers bullpen, I mean, there's no one else like that you're going to have to worry about. So, you know, stepping aside with him, putting him in those lower leverage situations, I think that's good for his morale, you know, and, and really get him to just clean, clear his head, work on any mechanical issues that he's having. Because, I mean, if you look at it, too, he's got, you know, 14 strikeouts to, to nine walks in, in, in 10.3 innings. Okay, so that's showing you that the, the walks are, you know, almost one per inning. He's been hittable, too. 14 hits in, in, in 10 innings pitch, and you look at his recent appearances, he hasn't gone any appearances without giving up a hit. So that tells me, A, or, you know, it tells me a few things, really. I mean, mechanical things there, maybe, you know, the release point might be a little off, so they can work on that. They need him side sessions in his bullpen, you know, and, and then he doesn't have to think about coming in. You know, let's say Brunner's on second and third with only one out of the ninth. You know, so you get him out of that situation. Gives him time to just breathe, relax, you know, look at things. And the best thing, one of the best things I've ever seen when, when I was pitching to in college is we had video of us throwing bullpens, but then we'd put it in slow motion and really be able to see our, our, our mechanics. And you can see it from the side, front on, from behind, different angles too. I think that's what they're going to do with him. You know, look at the locations of the pitches too. I haven't seen a whole lot of his, you know, his, his appearances live. So I can't see, like, was he missing the pitcher spot? Was he getting too much of the plate? You know, was he relying too much on a fastball or relying too much on another pitch? So, you know, that's something with him. And, again, it's, when we see – when they say they're going to put guys in lower-level situations and there's no real threat to you, well, when are you going to bring them up? Are you going to bring them up after two cleanings pitch? Are you going to bring them up after three? Are you going to wait a month? Well, no, I don't think that's the case. I think once they figure it out and they really zero in on what the issue is here – Maybe you see him pitch two or three games. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next three to four weeks he, he's, he's, he's going to reclaim that closer role. Because honestly, I don't think they have anyone as talented as him to, you know, grab on and, and hold on to that closer role the entire season. And like you said, too, the one thing that really sucks out of the entire situation is the fact that guys were drafting him high for, the, uh, you know, their, their, their number one closer on their team. And why? I mean, the guy had 85 strikeouts and 57 innings pitch last year. That is good. Not a whole lot of, you know, you don't see a whole lot of late, uh, relievers getting that 100 strikeout mark, and, you know, you want those closers that have that potential. You know, you think about your Kimbrels, your Kenley Jansons, and stuff like that. So you see this young guy here, you know, look at his ERA, look at his whip of last season, you're like, wow, this guy really, you know, really, I mean, he had a sub one whip. You see that, you're like, wow, this guy really figured it out. So with all that stock, you know, Obviously, he's not someone you're going to just drop. He's too talented. Uh, you know, again, he's always been talented. Even when he's starting, he was a talented guy. He just, you know, he really just never got a chance to start at the majors. They, they, you know, they, they quickly put him in that bullpen role. That's probably was best suited. So, you know, again, I say hold on to him. He will figure it out, and I say three to four weeks and a month at the most, and you'll see him back in that ninth inning role. Yeah, maybe. Maybe last year was a complete illusion uh, for Jose Leclerc, but I just want to cover a couple things that he did because, you know, first off, you can say anything about a small sample size in his uh, problematic home run rate so far this year. Um, but so far this year, he's given up two home runs 
Last year he gave up one home run in 57.2 innings pitched. So he's already given up twice as many home runs as he gave up last year. Uh, he also gave up 10 total earned runs last year in 57.2. He's given up the equivalent 10 earned runs uh, so far this year in 10.2. So, I mean, he, he's right there with having all of the bad numbers um, that he had last year at this point uh, with none of the good numbers. And then I'll go into some of the reasons that I really liked him coming into the year. Uh, so in 2018, his, his fly ball percentage was almost 50%, which is fairly high. Um, but his infield fly ball percentage uh, was 28%, uh, which is ridiculously high. And that means that, uh, you know, based on some rough math, uh, roughly eight an eighth of his, his batted balls in play were just lazy fly balls. And when you, uh, you know, include those lazy fly balls with his already, you know, 11 to 13 uh, range K-9, you just get a lot of free and easy outs, even if he is a guy that, that gives up some walks. Um, the real thing this year is he's given up twice as many walks, missing half as many uh, bats in terms of lift percentage. Uh, and instead of being a guy who doesn't give up any home runs or any hard hit fly balls, he's giving up a lot of both of those. Um, and he's just absolutely not at all uh, the guy that he was last year. Um, because I guess what I'm really trying to say is I, I still don't necessarily believe last year's a fluke. I, I think he was incredibly efficient, uh, effective rather last year. Um, and, and he was absolutely dominant. Um, but you know, hitters ha or rather he hasn't been able to figure out, uh, what to do to, to rekindle that, uh, whatever he found in 2018. And, uh, and, and until he starts performing better he's definitely on my bench but I kind of agree you know he's someone that I had too high of a grade on I think coming into the season even as bad as he's been to just outright drop uh, on May 2nd that might look like a mistake down the line but this is a guy that I felt like I was going you know not necessarily on a limb on because I think a lot of people were interested in him but this was a guy that I was really excited about being uh, a potential next elite closer and wrote him up as such um, so you know it's hard to just cut bait this early, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And I don't even think I have, or I know I don't have any shares of him in any in any of my leagues. Um, but even if I did, I, I just don't think I could cut bait at this time. Um, and then to to conclude this injuries news section, two two pretty major injuries, um, but but ones that have been around for a bit and might not also be major in terms of severity. Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, and Anthony Rendon. Uh, Tatis Jr.'s is a hamstring. Rendon's has actually been called a contusion, and it was an injury um, that they were hesitant to put him on the injured list for. Um, anything that sticks out for you in either of these situations with, with either the uh, San Diego Padres shortstop or the Nationals third baseman? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of disappointing. Uh, I feel, you know, we were definitely seeing – uh, of Rendon have one hell of a season, especially in the early going. So, you know, ho hopefully it's not a long-term thing with him. That's what I, I'm really hoping. But uh, um, with, with Tatis Jr., too, too you, you got to think, too, not only does this affect, you know, you're seeing him this time with a strained hamstring. And, you know, this is, with the talent and as young as he is, you know, this is something you want to rush back because this team wants to compete this season. There's no question about it. But, uh, you know, th this will also – you know, for for fantasy teams, this does shift uh, Machado over to shortstop for the time being too. So, you know, hopefully, you know he he's ready to go, and you know we we don't see any kind of uh, uh, issues with him because it's a little different playing uh, shortstop. You know, having to move around and, and get those balls in the hole, and you know, again, he's done it before. But I'm just saying, you know, that that that's always a 
always something to put into consideration. Hopefully he is uh, stretched out to be able to, you know, want him to tweak anything. So, you know, it, it sucks. These are definitely disappointing things. But, you know, both of them don't seem like anything long-term. So that's that's probably the best thing out there that we're, that we're hearing. So, you know. Yep, sounds good, Kyle. Um, you know, that that's I think the big thing. Whenever I read contusion on an injury report, you know, and I don't mean to knock them because I'm sure there are some serious ones, but the, the immediate thought that always comes into my head is that's what they have the 10-day IL for is, you know, just putting a guy on the list for a contusion when, you know, maybe he's not that bad. Um, but at the end of the day, it's only – it's barely more than a week. Um, you can get him back pretty soon. You can make it retroactive to the last time he played. Um, and, and hopefully you, you won't end up missing Rendon too much over those, you know, eight to ten games or, or what, whatever they may play. Um, before we move on to some more notable performances and some streamers, I'd like to remind our audience about our partner, Thrive Fantasy. Thrive offers a different daily fantasy model. Go to thrivefantasy.com or go to majorleaguefantasysports.com slash thrive uh, or excuse me, majorleaguefantasysports.com and click on the Thrive link. Uh, Thrive does prop bets and will match your first $10 if you match or if you use the promo code MLFS. Uh, That's thrivefantasy.com and the promo code MLFS. We're also seeking members for our 2019 competitive football leagues. Uh, These are leagues that that we look for uh, members early in the offseason to try to find the best members available. Uh, email Corey D. Roberts at Major League Fantasy Sports at gmail.com. And if you like the work we do here, uh, go to patreon.com slash Major League Fantasy Sports. If you'd like to contribute, that's patreon.com slash Major League Fantasy Sports. So um, notable performances. We've been, we've been doing this quite a bit this season so far. Um, but, but I'll go with, with two of my own really quick. Some, some guys that – one guy that I've been pretty big on and, and another guy – who's had a very a, a very poor start to the season. The first guy is Jeff McNeil. Now, the downside is obvious. One home run, zero stolen bases so far this year. He did have seven last year in a little over 60 games. So I do think there's a potential for some stolen bases. Um, you can look at three caught stealings two different ways. You can say he is running, but he also is getting caught. Um, if he can start to, to convert those stolen bases, you know, he is still a young player. Uh, and get get better at picking those spots. Uh, I, I think it's possible that that with a, a little bit more legs under him, uh, Jeff McNeil can can become a, a real contributor uh, in the stolen base categories. Um, but aside from that fact, he he's been a really good hitter so far to start the year. Um, he's hitting 352 as of now, and that's after uh, an 0 for 4 performance uh, on the day to day. He he has a 435 on base percentage. He's found himself uh, rising up to the top of the New York Mets lineup, uh, also possesses a, a 10 walk to 11 strikeout uh, walk to strikeout rate, which is uh, good for 8.1 and 8.9% respectively. Um, 8.9% in terms of K rate is one of the better K rates uh, in all of baseball. Um, he also has 11 strikeouts. Uh, and and this, is a, this is a stat that's not necessarily a stat, um, but just as a comparison, he has 11 strikeouts to 11 extra base hits. Um, so, you know, he, he's matching one-to-one uh, in that area. He might not be uh, the most powerful hitter, uh, but had a, another four-hit game, I believe, either yesterday uh, or the day before with a double. Um, might not be the most powerful, might not be the most uh, explosive talent, but I do believe he's a guy who can consistently hit, uh, you know, 
maybe 320, maybe maybe even a little bit higher. Um, he's going to be a one-to-one strikeout to walk rate, and that one-to-one or even maybe even more walks than strikeouts could come with with a strikeout rate uh, that dwindles uh, like it is right now under under like 9%. Uh, and then Jesus Aguilar finally showing signs of life. Aguilar's not a guy I was very high on coming in uh, to the off uh, into the uh, 2019 season. I, I think he still struggles on on off-speed pitches. Um, that said, still had him ranked. I mean, I didn't think he would be uh, this atrocious, and I didn't think even if I thought there was a chance he could get replaced uh, by some of these Brewers hitters, I didn't think it would happen this soon. Um, he's hit three home runs in his last two games, or at least had a, a, at one point um, in, in the last couple of days. So, you know, the overall numbers don't look good, but but maybe Aguilar is starting to uh, heat up a little bit as we get into May. Um, he's still a guy I'd be worried about as we move forward getting replaced, especially when someone like Keston Hiera, if he can uh, continue to improve his approach and put up good numbers at AAA, if he gets brought up, uh, could potentially move things around the infield and get uh, Aguilar moved aside. But, um, you know, anything stick out to you about either either Jeff McNeil, uh, Jesus Aguilar, or uh, any of the other players we have on, on this list here, Kyle? Yeah, I, I mean, what you said about McNeil too, I mean, he reminds me of a player that they've had in the past that we all know extremely well and, and Daniel Murphy. And, and I say that because, I mean, if you look at McNeil's stats, I mean, nothing ever really made me believe he was going to hit for power immediately. And, you know, but the thing is he doesn't strike out a lot. He never has struggles. And he was always, he was always a, you know, a, a 300 hitter and, you know, his OBP was always above average and it was almost in that great section, you know, around the 370, 380 mark. And, you know, what that tells me is he gets on base, he doesn't strike out. And, and what you said too about his, his strikeouts and extra base hits and, and even throwing the walks too, I mean, that was very, very similar to last season as well. I mean, you're talking about a guy that had 42 strikeouts. We had more extra base hits than that last year. And he had 36 walks, 36 walks, 42 strikeouts. What does that tell you? It tells you that's a guy that has a very, very good concept of the strike zone. And, you know, I, I bring up the comparison to Daniel Murphy, too, because, uh, I mean, if you look at his numbers early on before that, that 2016-2017 season where he finally hit 20-plus home runs, the thing is, though, he was, you know, he, he hit almost 40 doubles per season. You know, and he's got he's always getting on base, not never striking out a lot, still hasn't struck out over 100 times, you know. And, and again, We'll take walks, we'll not strike out, and we'll get those extra base hits. And the thing is, too, with McNeil, I, I think he does have that chance eventually to, you know, gain, gain some pop. Yeah, 27 years old, but the thing is, I, I don't see why down the road, like a season or two from now when he's still in his prime, you can't see 20-plus home runs. So, you know, that's great. He's a professional hitter, and the thing is, too, he's finally getting that chance to play, and that's what I, I really, really like seeing. You know, on, on the other hand, too, when we were talking about Aguilar, Here's the thing. When you start off this bad and you had a season like last year, it, it's not a fluke. You're playing with a good team. The power is there. It just took some time to really figure it out. Maybe his wing was getting a little too long. You know, I, I did an article on him a few weeks ago and, you know, looked at it and I, I thought, like, you know, the strikeouts were a little bit higher than normal. The contact percentages were a little off. It wasn't anything high-popping, uh, high like more than 5%. You know, it, it was less than that. So I, I think a lot of it was just, you know, maybe getting under something a little too much, you know, or, 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 you know, hitting on top of a ball or just getting unlucky too. I mean, you can hit a bullet line drive and let's say you, you hit it to a gap, you know, the center fielder somehow tracks it down. 
that is the case too. He was not going to be this bad. I don't. I didn't necessarily think he was going to, uh, uh, you know, have another uh, season like uh, uh, last season. But you know, it helps too. It helps, and you, you know, the good thing is, at least this happened when they went into Colorado, and he was able to get those three home runs in two days. So it was kind of amazing what happens playing in Colorado with those power numbers. So you know, this could be the boost he needed. And this is good too for the team as a whole. And, 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 I mean, to get him going and, you know, if you're hitting him low in the lineup, well, now he's starting to put it together. You're, you're going to have to be careful now, especially with guys on base. So, and like you said, too, about Ketson, you're, when he's ready, he'll be ready, too. And, you know, if they had to, like you said, it gets them a lot of options. You could still keep, you know, you, you, know, you, can, you can do a lot. You can move Moose around here, there to third, put, uh, you know, put Shaw at first and put, you know, Keston at, at second base. So it gives them a lot of options. But I, I think just as a whole for the team, having Aguilar at least get that sense of, hey, I can do this and, you know, get all the nerves so he does stop pressing, I think this is great for the team as a whole. Yeah, you know, that's the real question, I think, uh, at least for the Brewers, is uh, can they get Aguilar back to being um, a meaningful bat for their team pretty quickly because, you know, so far the numbers they've gotten out of them ha- have been pretty lackluster to say the least. Um, Jesse Winker on a bit of a home run binge, at least, at least compared to what uh, many people thought his upside would be as an OBP type prospect. Um, Domingo Herman off to a pretty good start to the season. Um, but the question with him has always been, can he avoid the blowups? Uh, have he, has he just not had a blowup yet or are the blowups gone? Uh, and then uh, Noah Syndergaard, uh, been struggling so far this season. Is he okay? Um, just a few topics there if you want to t- touch on one or, or a few of them. Uh, anything that piques your interest there? I, I mean, before today's start where, you know, Syndergaard went a complete game, uh, uh, one hitter, and, you know, in uh, 10 strikeouts to one walk against the, the Reds, you know, before that. And it's funny, too, one nothing win, and he's the one that hit the home run to give him that, that win. So, you know, before that, uh, before this starts today, I mean, he's just hittable. And, 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 and you know, the thing is, you, you can't you can't put guys on base via the walk and, and, then, and, and then give up hits. You, you can't do that. And that's what the issue that he was having, too. I mean, if you look at his game log on the season, too, that, that's what the issue was. You look at his pitch count. It was almost 100. No matter how many innings he went, it was all, near 100. I, he was over 100 uh, three out of the six starts before today and 93, 98, and 98 on the, on the other three starts as well. So, I mean, the pitch count was up. And what happens? If you're going to walk, guys, yeah, you know, you're going to throw a lot, of, a, a lot of pitches. But at the same time, too, that's one thing we notice with guys that get a lot of strikeouts. Their pitch counts are always going to be high. You know, but the thing is, too, he has given up home runs. He's given up five home runs in six games prior to today's start. And, you know, that'll kill you. If you're walking guys, which he hasn't done, and you're putting guys on base, a and you're hittable too. The thing is, he's got a lot. He 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 has he throws hard, but the thing is too, you gotta make sure you have that movement on your pitches because if you're throwing it up there and it's flat, guys are gonna hit it. I don't care how hard you're throwing. Even a guy like Jordan Hicks throwing 103, if you don't have any kind of movement and you're not hitting your spots, you're not locating correctly. You know that's gonna happen. And and when guys are hitting the ball and then you're giving up home runs when you're walking guys. That's when you see a bunch of runs scored. So, you know, this is a good showing for him. I think it's a confidence boost for him because he has shown struggles this season. But, again, he got it going. He looked good. And then, on the other hand, too, with the other players you mentioned, too, I mean, with Winker, 
you know, it's going to come and go. You got to remember too. I mean, it's not it's not like he's a five year vet, so you're going to see a little bit of waves here where he's looking good, and you're going to look uh, you're going to see some waves where he looks good. So it, it's just kind of one of those things, unfortunately, that you're going to have to uh, weather the storm, if you will. But um, I think again with him too, he'll definitely be getting back on pace. It's just it, it's going to take time, and we're only a month. You know, we've been talking about you know, all these different players. We're only a month in the season. We're finally starting the second month. So, you know, it, the the pop's going to come back. We're going to see a bunch of it. So so that's good. And you know what? He hit one, what, two days ago in, in, in 26. But before that, we saw it in bunches. I think that's what we we're going to see with him. You know, like you said, too, in the minor leagues, you know, he's always a high on base guy. That's what he's known for. Again, that average, I promise you, it's not going to stay as low as it is. And, you know, as it warms up, you start playing other places, especially when the ball starts flying out, out of Cincinnati, you're going to see you're going to see a, a, a lot more consistency with him. But, you know, right now it's just kind of an up and, up and down thing. Yeah, you know, I, I, I pretty much misspoke when I, when I let off with the Cindergard thing because I didn't happen to catch any of that game myself um, personally, but I did happen to catch the fact that, uh, he, he went to complete game, had the shutout. Uh, but when we made th- these topic lists a couple of days ago, I was seeing so many conversations about is he is he okay? Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, I think what really defines a, a pitcher isn't what he can be on his best day. It's what he can be uh, consistently. Um, Domingo Herman, to me, is a player that I've never been as quick to catch on to as, you know, some, some other people. Um, I think his high fly ball percentage or what has been historically a high fly ball percentage in Yankee Stadium um, gives him that, that potential to give up those hard hit fly balls uh, consistently. And if he's giving up those hard hit fly balls consistently, he's someone that I feel like I'm still shying away from, at least compared to, to, to some, and based on his uh, what is some pretty enticing swing and miss and strikeout upside. You know, I'm not necessarily saying – I'm not saying at all that he's not worth a fly or something like that, um, which I'm sure he's owned in most leagues by now. Um, but but what I am saying is that I'm not completely confident personally that, that these blow-ups uh, that he struggled with uh, in, in his career are gone for good. Um, we, we discussed a few other players before the start of the show. I know there were a few other players uh, you wanted to discuss, but – uh, I'll just uh, go off a list here, um, and, and then you can uh, let let it, let the audience know anything that that intrigues you about these players. Uh, Danny Santana of the Texas Rangers hits pretty high up in the order, at least against uh, lefties. Um, Tommy Lastella of uh, uh, the Angels, Ramon Laureano of the Oakland Athletics, very high upside player, but been disappointing to many so far this year. Uh, and then Jackie Bradley Jr of the Boston Red Sox, someone that a lot of people had on the sleeper list uh, as this guy who had made some, some swing changes and adjustments uh, so far this year doesn't seem to have helped him so much as, as he's had uh, quite, quite a struggle to start the year. So uh, any, anything to add uh, about any of these, these four players here? So, so with me, uh, with, with Danny Santana, you know, I was looking at guys that, you know, from a fantasy uh, standpoint, uh, just, just owned and, you know, not a whole lot of leagues. And, I mean, if you look at the last 14 days for uh, Santana and Lestella, I mean, Santana's really put it together. I mean, hitting almost 380, three home runs, eight RBIs, 11 runs, and three stolen bases. I like that. If I can grab a guy cheap like that and he can get on base, show a little bit of pop and, you know, and, 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 and steal a few bags, you know, that's awesome. And the thing is the eligibility, too. He still has some infield eligibility and outfield eligibility in leagues. And 
you know, thing was when when I saw he got called up, I you know I was doing DFS and I was looking for cheap options, so that's another reason I brought him up. And you know his price really hasn't you know fluctuated or gone upward too much, too much. He's still in a reasonable price, and and you know when he first got called up, he was hitting at the bottom of the order, but now you're seeing him move up because you know Texas could use that. They can use a guy that's getting on base. So you know I like what I've seen. You know in, in the past he showed some glimpses of of being able to uh, do some different things, but you know I I never thought we'd. Uh, uh, to this kind of pop. So, you know, and, and you can remember, too, he is playing out there in Texas. We know what guys can do. I mean, be, before this, he already has three home runs. The most he's ever hit in his career was seven. Well, I mean, you give him a full season at bats, he's only had 62 this, this far. If you give him that full season, he might be setting career highs in, in all numbers. And, I mean, at, at 28 years old, too, he is a veteran. You know, he, he's been around the league. He's played for a different team in his career, uh, you know, uh, two prior Minnesota and Atlanta. But, you know, just being able to get him, you can get him for cheap, just ride the hot hand. Will, will, he, will he keep this up for an entire season? Probably not. You know, you'll probably, if he gets this full season at bats, I'd say 260, 280 range tops. But, you know, I like what I've seen so far. He's getting on base. You know, he does have some speed. We're seeing that pop. I like that. On the other hand, too, Tommy LaStella, and I brought this up for a reason. When he was with the Cubs, he was, you know, their guy. If they needed a guy to come off the bench, from the left-hand side, they'd call him up. All right, sorry, he'd, he'd get the bat. Joe Madden said, out of the entire team, this was just two seasons, two seasons ago, he said Tommy Lestella was the best hitter on the team. And he goes, it is hard to get him out. He can hit anyone regardless of their speed and regardless of what kind of pitches they have. They said, you give him a bat. And he goes, what even makes him better is, he doesn't get regular playing time, but he can get up there, pinch hit, and get a hit just like that. And, you know, to have someone say that when you're playing with guys like the likes of Baez, uh, uh, Rizzo, you know, Chris Bryant, at the, you know, before his his injury and his struggles, I mean, that's high praise. And, you know, he's finally getting the everyday at bats. And, you know, out there in, in, in uh, with the Angels, I don't think he has any anyone to, that's really uh, uh, giving him a – a run for this position. So he's playing every day at bats. You know, he, right now, if you look at his 14-day too, he's just hitting under 400, 10 RBIs, nine runs scored, three home runs. And the thing is, a lot of these guys, if you thought, you think about Tommy LaSalle, you're not thinking about power numbers. But again, he's getting the playing time. He's already set a career high in, in home runs with seven. That's, that's two more than he's ever had. You know, the batting average is right around where it has been, but he's been on fire recently. And, I mean, this guy at the end of the season, his, his career high in RBI is 31. He's going to blow past that. So he's having a career year, and, and now is the year to, to hop on him if he's still available. And he's available in 15% of a lot of leagues. Or he's owned in only 15%. So, you know, there's still a lot for him. Again, will he keep this up all season? Probably not. But the thing is, if he's going to have a career year and you can get him for cheap and put him in that utility role, do it. Do it and, and play him while he's hot. And if he does start to sputter off as the season progresses, boom, you release him. You know, no harm, no foul. So, you know, I like what I saw from both of those guys. And just being on Santana, 26% of leagues only. Tommy LaSalle, 15%. You can't, you can't beat that. And, you know, the other two names, too, with uh, Ramon Laureano, you know, I grabbed him as a fourth outfielder in numerous leagues. And, you know, I was expecting a lot of things, but, you know, it, 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 and that could have been my fault, too, because last season he did look awfully good. And you know what I think it did, too, which, you know, I see him play uh, center defensively, and I'm like, wow, this guy can cover some ground. He has a rocket of an arm. You know, he can make the throws. But, you know, last season, too, 
it was a small sample size. He only had 156 at bats, and he was a rookie. He was a rookie last season, and that's what it is. You know, this year, 111 at bats, and the numbers just aren't there. He's striking out. I mean, he struck out. You know, the strikeouts were a little high last year. Don't get me wrong, but he was did show the ability to get on base. And you know, right now the strikeouts are extremely high. He's just not doing well. Like you mentioned too, you know, early on they want to start him out at the, the top of the order. Now you see him towards the bottom, and you know, he he just needs to figure this out. And it, it is going to be adjustments for him. Again, his second season in the league. Pitchers know what they need to do. Scouting reports out. So it's going to be an adjustment for him. And then with Jackie Bradley Jr., I, I, I mean, oof, right now it, it, it's hard to stomach. It is really, really, really hard to stomach what he's doing. I don't – I'd like to say that, you know, he's not going to be this bad I, in for the entire season, and that's the truth. I mean, eventually he just needs to get it going, and I think he will. But, you know, in terms of what I feel people – we're expecting out out of him in years past. I, I think this is a that that you know, right around that two forty average. His career numbers what we see, two thirty five, three fifteen, three ninety eight. I think that's basically what Jackie Bradley Junior is. I think you're gonna have to ride him at hot streaks. I, I think that two thousand sixteen season where he did go for twenty six and eighty, I think that was his career year. But again, he's a guy that will strike out, but he is a guy that does show a little bit of pop. Luckily for him he can play uh, um, uh some uh decent uh uh, defense, but I mean, good lord, uh, it, it, it's hard to expect uh, uh, Bradley Jr. to turn into, into anything more than what he is, and I, I think he's just a role player. Yeah, you gave us uh, four players there. The only one I'm going to really touch on because it's a player that I've been watching closely throughout the years, uh, Ramon Laureano. Um, and I think one of the other reasons uh, we're so intrigued by him is, is the fact that, you know, um, we're talking about him struggling here, and he is a player that uh, has contributed three home runs already, has contributed three stolen bases already. I'm not saying that the, uh, you know, that, that the arguments against him are unearned. They aren't at all. He, he's been a struggling baseball player so far this year, uh, especially on the offensive end. I mean, to have the defensive season he's had and only produces 0.4 WAR, uh, I think, uh, says a lot about you know, how, how he's been at the plate so far this year. Um, but he does have, again, an, an explosive skill set. Uh, I think the real concern is that he hasn't been taking a walk so far this year, and, and he is a, a hitter that I think has a good eye, but he's also a hitter I think that's getting frustrated uh, by the fact that he's not quite uh, where he needs to be uh, against particularly certain kinds of breaking pitches, and I think that's uh, I think he's seeing more of those when pitchers get ahead, and I think that's putting him away. Um, all that said, you know, Looking at a guy with a 307 BABIP and saying he's been unlucky is kind of a hard thing to do. But his line drive percentage is strong. Uh, his infield fly ball percentage slash pop up percentage uh, is very good. It's low. Uh, he does seem to use the the mid or the opposite field a decent amount of the time. Uh, and even though he is striking out a lot uh, and presumably chasing, uh, he is only producing an 11.5% soft contact percentage on fan graphs. You know, you look at something like infield hit percentage, it's going to be fluky and variable year to year, but you expect uh, a guy like Ramon Laureano to have a high infield hit percentage because of his speed, uh, potentially even threaten a 10% infield hit percentage. Uh, it was 8.5% last year. So far this year, it's it's 3.3%. I know these are small things to talk about, but 3.3% is a pretty low infield hit percentage, uh, and, and it goes to, to to with the rest of this batted ball profile. Uh, that suggests that uh, you know maybe he's getting a little unlucky uh, with the 307 BABIP. If you if you 
take all of his career numbers at this point, uh, you have actually roughly exactly half a season at this point uh, with eight home runs and 10 stolen bases. So that's, you know, 16 and 20, which is pretty solid. Um, and you have that alongside a, a 266, 330, 423 slash line, which I also think is uh, pretty solid given given how good of an outfield defender he is. I mean, that, that projects for about a five war uh, on, on fan graphs. And, and I think that's about what you can expect from him uh, moving forward at this point. Now, it does put his BABIP up at the 354 range, but I think 354 is kind of realistic. Um, maybe not right this second and hopefully for 2019, but maybe not for 2019. Uh, but in the near future, I, I see this as being an elite BABIP hitter. And, and as of right now, I see a couple things in his, his profile as being a, a potentially unlucky. Uh, we don't have an overwhelming amount of time to – to look forward into th- these weekend series. Um, but uh, if you'd like to go into some of these, these pitching matchups first and, and just let me know or, or let the audience know if anything in particular uh, sticks out for you, either either DFS, either pickup streamers, or either just a pitcher that, that you really think needs, needs made mention of uh, and watched in, in a particular matchup uh, th- this weekend, Kyle. Yeah, so you know, I, I picked one or one per day, and you know, for for tomorrow, I went with Jared Eikhoff versus Washington. You know, you, you know, in 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 the past seasons, he has dealt with some injuries, lat, and you know, then shoulder and, and wrist. And you got to remember, every, everything is correlated there. So you know, again, you when he was dealing with those injuries, you weren't seeing a lot, and you know, it, it takes time. It, it truly does, and you know he's looked awfully good this season. He's healthy finally, which I think is huge. And you know he's coming off of three straight games with six plus strikeouts. You know he 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 hasn't been hittable. Guys have not been able to get around on him. You know they're, they're not making great contact. No home runs so far. And yeah, I, I get he's he, he, his last game went against a, a struggling uh, Miami team that doesn't have a whole lot of offense. But I mean he did it against. Uh, he did it against uh, the Mets. He looked good. He did it at Colorado, which is extremely impressive. That's the only time he's giving up or runs, but he's looking good. He's keeping his, his pitch count intact, in which I like. And, you know, he, again, the home runs. He did have a season where he showed that he can uh, uh, get uh, – or he, he is hittable. But, you know, so far he's looked good. And, you know, I attribute, uh, I attribute that to a, different, uh, a lot of different things too. I mean, he's playing with Philly's team that has uh, uh, different veterans. You're talking about Jake Arrieta being there. You know, when, when they first got him, Eichhoff wasn't healthy, so they didn't spend a lot of time together. But I think having that influence there, seeing getting different things, really picking his brain, seeing some of the other pitchers on the team too. And, you know, one guy that I, I brought up numerous times, just having JT Real Muto back there at catcher, I think that plays huge. And I think that was one of the best boost you can give this pitching rotation and really getting in with a, a young guy like Eichhoff that doesn't have a lot of innings under his belt at the pro level but you know just being able to work with him too and, and call the game and you know having that pitcher on the mound being able to trust that veteran presence he's a guy that I look for especially for DFS leagues I can tell you tomorrow he's going to be one of my pitchers he's probably gonna, if I get, I'm going to get two pitchers tomorrow he's more than likely even against Washington I'm going to take him because I, I, I think he's going to have another good start um on the other side, too, looking at uh, uh, Saturday's uh, slate, one of the guys that I'm really looking forward to is Mike Soroka. You know, he, last season he looked awfully, awfully good. Um, prior to this season starting, you know, he, he started on the IL with a, with a shoulder injury, and it was concerning to me because I don't like to see that, especially for young guys. But he has looked 
awfully, awfully good. Now, he's a guy that's gone three straight, uh, starts again with six-plus strikeouts, hasn't given up any home runs, really isn't walking a whole lot of guys. I can I can live with, you know, you know he, he did two, three, and one in his three starts. That's fine. I can live with it. But the thing is, he's not giving up hits. He is not – Guys are not making good contact uh, with him. He's going with the secondary pitches, and he's getting swings and misses, and that's what I like. So, uh, And he's going against Miami Saturday. So, I mean, come on. For DFS, I mean, does it get much better than that? Um, Sunday, it was kind of interesting because I, I, I liked I, – I, I went with uh, Kansas City and in, in Detroit in uh, Keller versus Turnbull. Keller – he has been solid against mediocre teams. And, I mean, he's been keeping the ball out of the air for the most part, which I do like. And, on the other hand, and, and, you know, Kansas City going against Detroit's offense, I mean, it's not one of the premier offenses in the league. It's just not. And, and Spencer Turnbull on the other side, too, going up against Kansas City. I mean, Turnbull's a guy that he's not giving up a lot of homers. You know, he's showing the ability to get guys out. So, you know, if, if you're looking, more than likely, if I had to pick one or the other, I think I'd ride the hot hand with Turnbull. But, I mean, Keller's another option, too, if you're looking to pay down for a pitcher. So, you know, uh, again, both of these guys, just because of the offenses, are, you know, they are pitching against each other, but because of the offenses they're going they're going against, I, I, I kind of wouldn't mind paying down for either of those two on Sunday. Yeah, so you mentioned Eikhoff on Friday. Um, everyone, you, I, I, so for this week, I just made a, a pretty long list to, to just cover uh, a, a wide ground, and everyone you mentioned was on that list, including – uh, Jared Eikhoff against Washington, you know, um, the, the offense has, uh, the Washington offense has gotten a bit of an influx uh, of talent with guys like Carter Keboom, but I mean, we just go to last year at this time, um, or I think last year at this time to this year, and you're losing Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, and Anthony Rendon. I mean, you can say anything you want about any of those hitters individually. Maybe you think one of them or another one of them is over or underrated. But, I mean, as a whole, no one can debate. That is a whole lot of offense for an actual MLB team, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, and Anthony Rendon, um, all of those being out of the lineup, one one for free agency, two for injury, uh, is just a big deal for Washington right now, even though they still do have a solid lineup. Um Saturday, Mike Soroka, uh, not necessarily uh, the player that I, I, I thought – or I wasn't sure if you'd bring him up because obviously he's he's not the streamer, but he's the guy that we really want to see pitch. And uh, Mike Soroka has been the guy so far this year, and I know it's a small sample, but he's really made me go, man, I wish I was a little bit higher on this guy because, um, you know, not that I was particularly low on him, but I, I hadn't fully bought into – his his non fastball pitches yet I think um, to where I think he had great command and great movement of his fastball uh, and I think we see that being played out by his zero home runs allowed and, and ability to suppress hits so far this year but what I really wasn't sure about was if his secondary repertoire yet um, what was up to snuff uh, with that fastball at a, at a major league level. And so far he, he's actually using his secondary pitches even more than he did last year. His slider's up to a 30% usage, uh, which is actually a fairly high usage. And, and it's getting, you know, not, not a great number of whiffs per, per pitch, but a good number of whiffs overall uh, and, and a decent whiff percentage. The changeup's been getting excellent whiffs uh, so far this season, and, and he's using it a decent amount. And like I said, uh, I, I like guys that just have good fastballs. I, I, I like to call it, the, you know, like the table setter sometimes or, or like the setup, you know. 
Um, it, it sets, and as everyone talks about, it, it sets up all your other pitches. Um, a lot of guys in today's today's game, I think, look fastball, and I think a lot of the pitchers today ha- have trouble because um, they're, they're trying to establish their fastball in the strike zone, and, and for one reason or another, they just have a really hard time doing so. Uh, I think Soroka is one of the pitchers uh, more than a lot, uh, or more than most, really, uh, that can, that can survive with his fastball in the strike zone on movement, um, and then expanding out to more people on this list. Um, I think the Kansas City Detroit matchup is just going to continuous continuously be uh, a good source for streaming all year. Uh, we don't expect either of these offenses to get uh, even up to really uh, an average place. You know, maybe they get to average, but uh, we don't expect much more than that. Uh, the pitchers aren't uh, very owned, and they're also not the worst in the world. Um, in this three-game series, just on this list, I have Tyson Ross, Turnbull, Jorge Lopez, uh, Homer Bailey, Brad Keller. All the all those games, I think, have uh, a good chance of being, you know, uh, a decent streaming matchup when it's all said and done. Um, maybe maybe some of those guys struggle. You know, I'm sure not all of those are hits, but I think uh, with a relative bit of accuracy. I think there's going to be quite a, a few good streaming starts in that KC-Detroit uh, AL Central matchup throughout the year. Um, also on this list, um, I listed all three Oakland Athletics starters uh, this weekend at Pittsburgh, um, getting a good stadium, but this time a good stadium in the National League for some of these pitchers. Um, Frankie Montas probably owned in, in a vast majority of leagues, but it, it's a start that, that I like to see him in. Um, I believe Gio Gonzalez, now with the Brewers, is going to make – his debut against the New York Mets. Mets are very left-handed heavy. I don't know how many innings uh, Gio Gonzalez is going to pitch, but there's a little bit of intrigue there. Uh, I think uh, Saturday, uh, Wade Miley takes on the uh, Los Angeles Angels. Probably not a great pick um, for leagues that value strikeouts heavily because he doesn't get many of those, but he's been a pretty solid pitcher, a uh, pretty good pitcher at keeping launch angles and elevation down, getting a lot of ground balls. Uh, Los Angeles Angels don't have the greatest lineup, so so that's a pretty good matchup for Miley. Um, and then uh, more of in a uh, DFS context, I also put the uh, the partners for Soroka in that three-game series against Miami, uh, Kevin Gaussman, Julio Tehran on the list, as, as I think both of them have, have decent DFS value uh, on Friday and Sunday, respectively. Um, any, any of the names I, I brought up right there uh, stick out to you? Yeah, I, I thought you brought a good point up, too, with Oakland starters, especially for DFS, and that's what I want to clarify, too, when I, you know, when I spoke about Soroka for Saturday, specific, excuse me, specifically DFS leagues, because, you know, he's going to be owned in the majority of, of your, uh, yeah, your long leagues. But, yeah, no, I, I like what you brought up against uh, uh, Oakland, uh, against Pittsburgh. And, you know, another one, too, we got to look at Tyler Glass now too. Getting a, I think he has an awful juicy uh, matchup against Baltimore tomorrow too. So you know that's that's another guy that you might want to be looking at for DFS leagues. And, and, and like you said too, I mean all all weekend long with Atlanta pitchers against Miami. I mean if you're looking to play all weekend long, especially for your DFS, I mean it, it's going to be hard to go against uh, any of these Atlanta pitchers. Get, go you know facing this Miami lineup. So you know I, I thought you hit the nail on the head with those picks. And then um, one last thing to uh, conclude our show, is there any series or um, offensive slate of matchups that, that intrigues you this week? Any any hitters particularly going up against pitchers or, 
or any just uh, matchups that, that affect the, the standings of the MLB or, or anything like that, uh, Kyle? Yeah. Yeah, I thought uh, just picking out four in particular, excuse me, three series in particular. I'll head down there real quick. I know we're running out of time, but uh, uh, Friday's matchup, uh, Boston at at Chicago White Sox. Uh, I mean, you're getting Chris Sale going to where it all started, going against a, a White Sox team that has looked awfully good, and you know they're going into the south side of Chicago. But at the same time, Chris Sale hasn't looked that great this season. So you know, I want to say, is it is it that adrenaline going to be running that high where we see him finally string or put together a phenomenal start? Or is this Chicago offense that they're up and coming and they've looked awfully good? Are they going to take advantage to it and run him out of town? For a second time, so you know, for for that series, that specific game is one I wanted to zero in on. Uh, I think all weekend long too, just seeing uh, the Mets in, in Milwaukee. I mean, they're two of the better teams in baseball, and you know, I, I really want to just see how 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 it goes. Are they going to split going into Sunday's matchup, that rubber match, to really decide how the weekend goes or or what? And you know, it, I, I would have loved to have seen. Syndergaard, yeah, I, I get it. He did it against Cincinnati, and that's fine. But I would love if, if that would have happened against a, a, a team like Milwaukee with that offense. You want to talk about a confidence booster after you've shown signs of struggle. But, you know, today was nothing nothing short of, of spectacular what he did. But, you know, I, I think this is an interesting uh, matchup uh, to really pay attention to because both of these teams are going to be uh, in the hunt for the division all season long. And then, and then finally, St. Louis and Chicago. I mean, you're talking about the Cubs looking up at the Cardinals in the division, and the Cardinals have ultimately the best record in baseball at 20 and 10. I mean, getting Goldschmidt like they did has really you know, bolstered this team to a whole other level. And you know, in another uh, another thing too, um, uh, uh, getting a, a healthy Marcelo Zuna has been absolutely phenomenal for this offense. That's what they needed last year. I get it. They faltered. They struggled. But there were so many different things they had to deal with. But getting Ozuna healthy, having Paul DeYoung look pretty solid offensively, this this team is a real deal. And if they're pitching, can just hold up all season, no major injuries, you know, and then they can eventually get Carlos Martinez back. And he can be an addition. This team is going to be awfully good and be in the hunt for not only – you know, the division, but into the playoffs, too. So, you know, looking at Friday's matchup with Flaherty and Hendricks, too, and they're going to the north side of Chicago, I don't think Flaherty's been exactly uh, what everyone was hoping he'd be. I know a lot of people are expecting him to, to ultimately make a case for the, uh, uh, excuse me, NL Cy Young, but, you know, early on it hasn't necessarily worked out as well. You know, he has shown signs of some struggle. He has shown signs of, you know, being hittable. And, I mean, he, he's given up the long ball, which you don't want. I mean, he, he has what? He's, this will be a seventh start. He's already given up seven home runs. So, you know, but the thing is, the strikeouts are there. He's not wanting a whole lot of guys, but he, again, he has shown signs of being hittable. And if you look at that pitch count, it, it does get up to that 90-plus range often. So, again, this weekend series with Cardinals heading into the north side of Chicago, I think this is a great one to pay attention to because there's a lot. I get, I get it. I get it. It's early in the season, but there's a lot of implications because you, you, you wanna you wanna win the not only win the series, but you wanna gain, gain that uh, that confidence and, and that adrenaline moving forward. Yeah, you know, two two quick Cardinals notes. Um, in terms of Jack Flaherty, I think what we've seen so far, and you mentioned this is his seventh start coming up, so he's had six so far this year. And, and I think what we've experienced when watching him is exactly that that up and down nature. He has three starts this year of one or fewer runs, with two of those three starts having zero runs allowed uh, or earned runs. 
Um, and he has three starts where he's allowed at least four earned runs. So, you know, three with one or fewer, three with four or more. Uh, zero starts with anything between, you know, it, zero starts with two or three earned runs in his first six starts. It's either been uh, really good most of the time with uh, about a strikeout in inning uh, or uh, relatively bad. Uh, two of those bad starts, or at least two of those bad starts, maybe all of those bad starts uh, coming against the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, which is interesting because that is one of the best uh, offenses in baseball, and he's had to play them. Uh, quite a few times. Uh, and then Paul Goldschmidt, man. Uh, how did they get that trade price for Paul Goldschmidt? Because, I mean, here's the thing. Luke Weaver is pitching great. I mean, at 25 years old, for, for the improvements that he seemingly has made, like, no, he doesn't have the best ERA or anything. I mean, and, and who knows if he's, uh, you know, a completed pitcher yet or if something's going to flop back. But, you know, for a guy who's 25 years old, uh, you know, he's pitching just fine getting a ton of strikeouts. Luke Weaver's probably boosted the stock quite a bit. And I still don't understand how the the St. Louis Cardinals, even when they had to pay him, were able to get uh, Paul Goldschmidt for the for the relatively you know menial price uh, that they had to pay to get him. But uh, it's been a great show, as always, Kyle. Uh, thanks for joining me this Thursday evening. Uh, if you have any, any last uh, note before we get out of here, feel free to uh, – let it go. Uh, if not, I will see you next Thursday, I believe. Um, hey, thank you. It's always fun. I love co-hosting the show with you. I think it's been great the weeks we've been on, and I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, hopefully, you know, one thing I will say, finally starting to see some guys come off the injured list. Got Lindor back, got Kershaw back, got Marte off. Now I'm just waiting for John Carlos Stanton to come off. So, you know, it's getting excited. I know it wouldn't be a long-term thing, but uh, it, it gets rough when you have arguably four of your top whatever players on the, on the IL at once. So, you know, it's great, and uh, we will see you again next week. Yep, see you. Take care. Uh, so that will about wrap us up for the Major League Fantasy Sports Baseball Show here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, as always, I've been your host, Cole Friel. Uh, I will be um, – on the Sunday show this week, uh, you can you can join us there, or you can join me and Kyle next Thursday as as we have a similar show to today. Um, but until then, uh, take care.